for your goodness and mercy and grace towards us. We lift up all these prayer requests to thee, and we pray that uh, your sovereign will would be done, and you would you would do as, as you see fit, and, and that you would comfort your saints and, um, and um, give them grace and strength to make it through each, each situation that comes about. And uh, we pray for the preaching today, too, and the singing and, and all our worship, Lord, that it would be that it would be pleasing to you and that you would receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Today we will be continuing our study on the doctrines of grace. And it's been a marvelous time going through the scriptures and looking at the various scriptures. And Today we'll be looking at... Uh, Irresistible grace, the eye and the tulip. Irresistible grace. So this will be the doctrines of grace, part four. Last week we looked at limited atonement. Last week we looked at limited atonement and how that Christ died for his people. And he only died for his people. He didn't die for the whole world like folks like to talk about. He died for his people. And it was an effectual atonement. He redeemed his people from their sins. The week before, we looked at unconditional election. That's actually one of my favorite parts of the tulip, unconditional election, that God chose us based upon absolutely nothing in ourselves. Nothing. Nothing but the pure, free, and sovereign grace of God in Christ. There's no conditions in us, no reason that God chose us except except that he loved us. Remember we saw that? Except that he loved us from eternity. He didn't look down through time, as some said, and, and would see who would choose him because Scripture declares that none of us would choose him. Left to ourselves, none of us would choose him. But oh, praise God, he had mercy on sinners and he chose a people in Christ. And we looked at the week before, the first week was total inability. The tulip, which is total depravity, total inability. Man has no ability to come to Christ on their own. Absolutely none. And we saw the scriptures prove that to us. And that's the thing that I like with our study that we're going through. Scripture is what we're going to use. And only scripture, not our opinions. I was talking to some guys this week, and and I said to them, I said, you know, I'm going to tell you what scripture says. I'm not going to give you my opinion. Because what the Bible says is what's most important. Not people's opinion. Everyone, you... We're going to look, get into that in the sermon. You, you, you talk to a hundred different people, they're going to give you a hundred different opinions on who Christ is alone. So we're not looking for that. We're looking to see what scriptures is. And Jonah 2.9 says this, salvation is of the Lord. It's of the Lord. It's nowhere else. It's only in Christ and him alone. And that means from beginning and to the end. He is the author. Hebrews 12.2 says this. If you want to turn there, Hebrews 12.2. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. The author and the finisher. Scripture declares in Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, unto Jesus, looking unto him. The author, which means he, he, he planned and purposed it. I used to know an author in, in Oregon, and I talked to him one time, and I said, when you write a book, he had written several books. And I said, would you write a book? Do you just sit down and start writing? He goes, no, I plan it. 
I purpose what I want to do. And I said, amen. That brought the scripture even more alive that way. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, which ties into Jonah 2.9. Salvation is of the Lord. He is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. It's all Christ, or it's nothing, or it's nothing. And the five points that we believe as a church is total depravity, also known as total inability, or original sin. When Adam fell, we all fell in him. We all fell in him. Unconditional election, which means that God's election was based upon absolutely nothing in us, nothing in us at all. Limited atonement, also known as particular atonement, Christ died for his sheep. He, he, he died for whom he said he died for. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. In irresistible grace, which we'll look at today, and I like to call it invincible grace. It's invincible. You can't stop it. You can't resist it. It's invincible. It will set out to accomplish what it sets out to accomplish. And then next week we'll look at perseverance of the saints, which is a, a marvelous doctrine to God's people because those he saves, he keeps. It's not based upon us. It's based upon him and what he's done for us. So today we'll look at the eye of the tulip. Irresistible grace. Here's a question for us to ponder throughout this study today. When God calls a man to himself, can that man resist the call? Something for us to ponder as we go through this study. Now there's two callings, right? Every time the gospel's proclaimed, there's two callings. There's a general call. We, can, we say, turn to Christ. And there's an effectual call. There's an effectual call. And this effectual call is irresistible. It's a call of God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit calls his people to flee to Christ. He calls his elect. He calls his elect into salvation. And they can't resist it. Can anyone resist God? Do you see the fallacy when people say that they can resist it? Can anyone resist God Almighty? Well, man, try, don't they? They shake their fist. and Scripture says he just laughs. Turn with, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. The gospel message goes out to all, right? The gospel message goes out to all. Here's a question then. Are all saved? Nope. Nope. Do all hear the gospel and, and flee to Christ? Nope. But the elect of God do. They hear a call that's irresistible. Remember Lazarus? Do you think Lazarus could resist Christ and not come out of the grave? That's a picture of us. Dead in trespasses and sins. And when God calls us, he calls us by name, beloved. And we cannot resist him. 
the unwilling are made willing. The unwilling are made willing. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We're familiar with these verses, but this call by the Holy Spirit of God cannot be resisted. The Holy Spirit of God regenerates his elect. And by faith and repentance they flee to Christ. For by grace are ye saved through faith. We're given faith to believe. That's a gift. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 11. We are granted repentance. So we're given faith and we're granted repentance. Both of these are a gift of God. It's not something we can, we can muster up ourselves. And when God calls a sinner, he grants them faith. And he grants them repentance. And they're gifts. They're gifts. Acts 11, verse 17, For as much then as God gave them the like gifts as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I, that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles. Look at this. Granted. God gives repentance. We saw he gives faith. He gives repentance too. Granted repentance unto life. As I said, the unwilling willingly flee to Christ when they're made willing. They run. They run. We're not robots. Somebody accused me this week of us being robots. I said, I ain't no robot. I just was made willing. I wasn't willing before. I remember how I was. I wasn't willing at all. But God made me willing. (laughs) And I fled. I ran to Christ. Oh, Psalm 110.3, we're familiar with this. What a beautiful verse. I remember reading Robert Murray McShane on this, and he, he was the one that first bought this out. Thy people shall be, be willing in the day of thy power. We're made willing in the day of God's power. He will save his people. You can't resist it. And the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of, of, of thy youth. So God's people willingly and freely fr- flee to Christ because we've been made willing. You can't resist it. Again, I ask, can anyone, can anyone resist God Almighty? Does not Scripture say he does whatever he pleases in the armies of heaven and in the earth? And none can stay his hand? And man has the audacity to say that they can resist him? What? Be thankful he's had mercy on us. Be thankful he's had mercy upon us. That he didn't leave us where we were. And that he made us willing. He made us willing. Some more questions we could ask in light of folks saying that that we can resist the will of God. So whose will is going to prevail here in this world? Is the devil's will going to prevail? Well, you talk to some people, they give more power to Satan than they do to God. He's just on a leash, beloved. God's all-powerful. Satan does his bidding. Well, if if he's in charge, though, then man would remain in bondage, right? If Satan was in charge, men would remain in bondage. But we're free, beloved. 
We're set free in Christ because God's in charge. Is man's will going to prevail? Well, from what we looked at earlier in our study, if man's will prevailed, then no one's saved. Because no one comes to God. No one seeks God on their own. So if man's will prevails, then, then there's, there's no salvation, so there's no hope in either. Is God's will going to prevail? Absolutely. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 9. Absolutely. Yes. God's will will always prevail. Always. Always. And we're talking, again, we're talking about the sovereign God of the universe. When I talk to some folks, you wonder, you know, you know they don't know the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible is all-powerful. And I don't say that in a boasting fact that I know that. He's just revealed that to me. I have nothing to boast in. I was, I was caught up in all that. And praise God, he had mercy. Oh, look at, look at Romans 9, 15 and 16 in light of what we're looking at. Is God's will going to prevail? Absolutely. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. There it is. God is... God will have mercy on whomever he pleases. Look, it continues. And I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. For those of us who believe, aren't you thankful God had compassion on you? And mercy on you? And like I said again, didn't leave us where we were? Oh, what a wonderful God. So then it is not of him that willeth. There goes free will. Right? Nor of him that runneth. There goes works. Gone. But of God that showeth mercy, mercy. If you're saved, it's because of the mercy of God in Christ, plus absolutely nothing else. This is why we say, praise his mighty name. Eh? This is why we give him all the glory, all the honor. And look, that text in Romans 9, it destroys the belief that you can come to God on your own will or works. Not of him that willeth. I say, there it goes right there. Not of him that runneth. There's works. Oh, it's God's having mercy on his people. And look at what it says. I will have mercy. Does that mean that God, that, that, that man can resist, you know, if God chose them, chose them, that man can say, well, you know what? No, I don't really want to come to the end. Absolutely not. Thy people shall be made willing. And God's people flee to Christ. We flee to him. So can any resist God? Well, the Holy Spirit is God, right? Just as much as the Father and the Son. So folks that say they can resist God, the Holy Spirit, are saying they can resist God. Well, God's will will be done. Philippians, if you turn there, chapter 2. Philippians, chapter 2. See, God, he draws us to Christ, right? He draws us to Christ. He grants us faith and repentance. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Look at this little verse in 13. For it is God which worketh in you. The Holy Spirit, you're, you're, made, you're born again of the Spirit of God. God the Holy Spirit. 
It's God which worketh in you, both the will and the do of his good pleasure. If you're saved, it's his good pleasure. <laughs> that you're saved. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe. It's his good pleasure to save worms like us. It's amazing. No man could ever think this up. It's amazing. God worketh in you to do his will and his good pleasure. Marvelous. What a statement. God must regenerate a sinner. And if he regenerates that sinner, they're going to come to Christ. They ain't going to resist. Not at all. And this is our hope. If you're a sinner, may God grant you faith to believe. May he grant you faith to believe. May he turn you to Christ. Oh, turn, if you would, to John chapter 6. Oh, that God would make you willing. And if he makes you willing, we're going to flee to Christ, hey? (laughs) So we know faith is a gift from the scriptures that we looked at earlier. And look at John chapter 6. Starting in verse 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? What might we do? Well, it's not what you do. It's what God does. It's what God does. They're asking the question that natural man would ask, right? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God. See, it's not our work. It's not our work. It's the work of God. This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Do you believe on Christ? It's the work of God in you. It's the Holy Spirit regenerating you, and you fled to Christ. This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What doest thou work? He continues, Our father did eat, our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I send ye, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. But my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. That's Christ. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me May come to me? No, it doesn't say that, does it? <laughs> May resist me? Doesn't say that. No. All that the Father give me, those little hinge words, again, we've been talking about that, man. these little hinge words, shall. Shall. Shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you come to Christ, he will never cast you aside. Never. Never. For I come down from heaven not to do mine own will. Brother John and I talked about this last week, or a couple weeks ago. He didn't come to do his own will. 
but the will of him that sent me. He came to do the Father's will, to redeem his people from their sins, beloved. And he accomplished it. And this is the Father's will. People always wonder what God's will is. This is the Father's will which has sent me. That of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. Not one sheep will be lost. But should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me. That everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Oh, what an act of love. That Christ who is God saves those who shake their very fists. He saves rebels like us who shake our fist by nature at him. What undeserved love. What matchless grace. It's depthless. You can't plummet. Oh, we find it all in Christ Jesus our Lord, don't we? That's where it all is. In him. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 1. Someone the other day tried to, took me to a passage the other day to try to prove free will. But the very passage they took me to destroyed free will. <laughs> oh, John chapter 1. Look at this. Verse 11 and 13. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now, several commentators, they, they said that he came unto Israel. But I was listening to old Martin Lloyd-Jones this week, an old, old preacher. John Claude used to sit under him. And I, I listened to a sermon by him this week. And he said, he said, not only is that Israel, but that's even God's elect. He came unto his own. His own received him not. It was an interesting fact. I thought, boy, that's pretty, that's interesting. I never heard of that perspective. But, I thought, but look at, as this verse continues here. And this was a passage that the guy took me to to try to prove free will. But as many as received him, and he said, see, there's a decision. I said, yeah, but look what it says. To them gave he power. They, they wouldn't receive him unless God gave him the power to do it. And then 13 just totally destroys free willism. Give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, so it's not, it's not your heritage. Right? Just because your parents are saved doesn't mean you'll be saved. Nor the will of the flesh. Nor the will of man. <laughs> Can it be any more plain, right? But of God. God has mercy on his people in Christ. He has mercy on his people. So the very verse that folks like to trumpet, free will, destroys free will. If you come to Christ, you're made willing. And it's an irresistible call because you're born again. The old question comes back again. What comes first, faith or regeneration? Regeneration. You wouldn't have faith unless you were regenerated. You're born again. And then you flee to Christ. Those who believe are on his name are given the power to believe. Born again. The dead are made, the dead spiritually are made alive. Born again by the Holy Spirit of God. 
And as I said, made willing. In verse 13 in John 1 reinforces that, doesn't it? It reinforces that. Which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You must be born again. And that calls an irresistible call. Not by our works, not by our wills. See, man wants to have a part in their salvation. They want to say they they either accepted Christ or rejected Christ. They brag about their so-called free will. Think of this. Before you were saved, was it hard to resist sin? Absolutely, right? We didn't even think of it. We drank sin like iniquity, like water. Then the Lord saves you. All of a sudden, you, you don't want to do the things you, you used to do because your nature's new. Because your nature's new. We had a dead nature before, and our wills was bound to that nature. Now we have a new nature. The Holy Spirit in us, working in us. Pink says we now have free will in the sense after we're saved. Because then we're so, we, our wills are, are, are bound by our nature. You're reading that book on Luther, and he's just, he just hammers that. The fact that, that the will is bound when we come into this world. Bound. But oh, praise God, we're set free in Christ. We're born again in the Holy Spirit of God. And think of this. Salvation is either all of God all of the Lord, or it's not. God would cease to be God if his purpose to save his church through the atonement of his son was not fulfilled. God would cease to be God. God, the Holy Spirit, comes to each of his elect and he regenerates us saves us, and then we come with gladness to Christ, don't we? It's amazing. That's why we call it amazing grace. It's amazing grace. It's truly amazing. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah 46. I'm not going to get through all my notes today, so we're going to hit a few scriptures here to see that God's will will be done. It cannot be thwarted. If it's God's will to save you, you can't resist it. Isaiah 46, and then put your finger in uh, John chapter uh, 6. Isaiah 46 verses 9, 10, and 11. God will do his will. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declare in the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying. Now, hold on. Folks believe that they can resist God's will, right? Well, they're added to Scripture. They're making themselves an authority over the God's holy word. That's, 
That's a horrible place to be. Because look what it says. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God is God, beloved. Calling the ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will bring it to pass. Brother, you were given to Christ before the foundation of the world, and he saved you. Isn't that amazing? He has saved his people, and they're come. They're come, and they cannot resist it. They cannot resist that call. This is why we, again, this week someone was talking to me in, about, about evangelism and trying to tell me what we believed on evangelism here without even asking me what we believed on evangelism here. And I said, well, look at it this way. You ever go fishing? And they said, yeah. And I said, you ever go to a stock pond? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm fishing in a stock pond. God's people will be saved. The gospel goes out, and God saves whomever he will. it's, It's all his work. It's all his work. He can do whatever he pleases. John 6, 44 and 45. We looked at this earlier too, but look at another, another hinge word again. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up the last day as it is written in the prophets and they shall be all taught of God. They shall be. They shall be. Again, there's another hinge word again. They shall be. It's not a maybe. All taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father, cometh unto me. It's irresistible. God Almighty has spoken it. And it's truth. It's truth. Turn with me one more chapter, Romans chapter 8. We're finished with this. Like I said, I'm not going to get to what, all of it here, but we can. And, and all this tulip that we're looking at is all interconnected. It's all interconnected. You take one away and they all crumble. But they're all interconnected. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 31. And we're close with this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, and that's not, that's not that he looked down through time and saw who would choose him. He chose us unconditionally, remember? Unconditionally. <laughs> For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of, the, of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Notice it's all past tense. <laughs> Marvelous. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us?